Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. One of the key issues in the early church concerns the meaning of this passage in Philippians. Verses 2, 5 to 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How is it that Christ is both God and man? I think this passage explains it. It says that God had emptied himself. And the word here is kenosis or uh, a self-emptying and the call is that we are to imitate Christ in the self-emptying. The question is, is this a permanent thing? Is Christ fully human and divine? And in what sense? We might see one part of this debate as extending to the period prior to Chalcedon. Chalcedon is the fourth ecumenical council in which they debate this question. But before this, in the person of Augustine, and maybe extending to the theology of Martin Luther, we see one answer. And really in this answer, the essence of God is unattainable. Luther will depict our ability to get to God, that it's always that God is hidden from us. And so Luther holds to an Augustinian notion of what is called original sin. And his theology is slanted and may be defined by his focus on law and the idea that we do not become righteous in practice, but only in principle or legally. That is, imputed righteousness, a kind of theoretical righteousness. And Luther pictures the Christian life as a kind of unending struggle with sin. That is, that we really don't get any better at this thing. He depicts a split individual struggling, living in two kingdoms. He says we live in the kingdom of God and we live in the kingdom of the world. But such that the spiritual and hidden kingdom of God, it really only serves the inward self we end up following the ethic dictated by the kingdom of the world of necessity. And for Luther, God in his essence then is hidden from us and we do not live with resource to what we would call the imminent trinity or who God is in himself. And this sets up a kind of peculiar dialectic in which faith stands over and against reason or in which the theology of glory in the language of Luther is opposed to the theology of the cross. So God has his own autonomous purposes which are really beyond human comprehension. 
But what can be known about God is just his promises, and that's what scripture is. And so for Luther, God is the cause of all things, and the human remains a passive recipient of God's action. There is no free will for man in Luther's estimation. Quote, he says, we do everything of necessity and nothing by free will, for the power of free will is nil, and it does no good nor can do without grace. So for Luther, the word is not an encounter with God, but it's a promise. The word is the means by which God condemns sin, promises salvation, and so he reads all of the Bible as law and grace, mainly focusing on the New Testament as grace and the Old Testament as law, not to say they're not intermixed. But this promise is had not through the achievement of a real world defeat of sin, but only on the basis of the promise. Quote, he says, sin is always present and the godly feel it, but it is ignored and hidden in the sight of God because Christ the mediator stands between. That is a kind of imputed righteousness. So that's one option. The other stream of argument runs from Paul to Origen, who many would say Origen is the earliest Christian theologian. And maybe coming down to the work of a man called Maximus the Confessor, who lives in 580 to 662, and he pictures just the opposite. That is identification between God and the world. And so where Luther pictures God as hidden, Origen and Maximus depict full access to God. And we have a peculiar logic, even a, uh, what Maximus and Origen will call Christologic. The word that Origen uses that will be used, we've kind of lost this word in the Western church, but it's used in the Eastern church, is apocatastasis. And the idea is of theosis, or that we actually participate in who God is. This is the way that Maximus describes this. He says, the word of God, very God, wills that the mystery of the incarnation be actualized always and in all things. That is that what happened to Christ happens to us and happens to the creation. As Maximus explains, this is the great and hidden mystery. This is the blessed end for which all things were brought into existence. This is the divine purpose conceived before the beginning of beings. And in defining it, we would say that this mystery is the preconceived goal for the sake of which everything exists. And it was with a view to this end that God created the essence of beings. Let me state this very simply. Creation is incarnation and incarnation is creation. That is Maximus is saying all things are summed up literally in Christ. I think that's a very Pauline idea. Creation's purpose is found in the incarnation, in the lamb sacrificed before the foundation of the world, in the language of John. And this end is present in the beginning. That is that God didn't create and then go, whoops, I made a mistake. 
but his purposes are always being worked out. So that incarnation is not simply a singular event within creation, but it's the basis of creation. That is, who Christ is in the middle of history tells us what the purposes of creation are at the beginning of history and at the end of history. And so in the incarnation, the absolute differences between God and man, you know, those differences which Augustine and Luther picture as unbridgeable. In this understanding, they're brought together in Christ, in the God-man, Jesus Christ. And there is identity then between the creator and the creation. This is Maximus. This mystery is obviously the ineffable and incomprehensible union according to hypostasis. This is the word they use to talk about the fusion of God and man in Christ. This union brings humanity into perfect identity in every way with divinity through the principle of the hypostasis. And from both humanity and divinity, it completes the single composite hypostasis. What's he saying in simple terms? We encounter God in Christ. We see who God is in Christ. There's a complete union of who God is with Christ. This our total identity with God on the part of Christ then is duplicated by the Christian. What happens to Christ happens to the Christians. To state it point blank, the Christian becomes Christ. He says, they will be spiritually vivified, made alive by their union with the archetype of these true things and so become living images of Christ or rather become one with him through grace. He says, this is not a mere simulacrum. He says, and he hes hesitates here. If such an idea is not too onerous, he says, for some to bear, that we become the Lord himself. And of course, it fits with Paul's picture. He says, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives within me. This fits with the picture in Corinthians that describes the church as the body of Christ. And so Maximus is not speaking metaphorically or analogously but he's describing a complete identification between the disciple and his Lord. And the only qualifications pertain to the difference that what Christ is by nature, the disciple attains by grace. He says, having been fully united with the whole word within the limits of that, what their own inherent natural potency allows, as much may they be that they were imbued with his qualities. So that like the clearest of mirrors, and think of Paul's use, Paul uses the image of a mirror, that we reflect Christ as mirrors, he says in Corinthians. That we are now visible as reflections of the undiminished word of God, who gazes out from within them. For they possess the fullness of his divine characteristics yet none of the original attributes that naturally define human beings have been lost. That is, yes, we're still human, just as he is still human. But yes, as Peter says, we participate in the divine. 
all things has simply yielded to what is better. Like air, which is itself is not luminous, but completely mixed with light. Through their own natural potency, of course, that's delimited. But this delimitation is overcome in the one reflecting the word of God. Otherwise, they are imbued with his qualities and are reflections of the undiminished word of God and possess the fullness of his divine characteristics. They don't overwhelm, but the idea is that we become fully who we are meant to be in Christ. It's not that our personality is undone, but it's completed in Christ. He warns, let not these words disturb you, for I'm not implying the destruction of our power of self-determination, but rather affirming our fixed and unchangeable natural disposition. We were created to be in Christ, and it's only in Christ that we come to the fullness of who we are, what we were created to be. One's natural inclinations are fulfilled through the work of Christ. He says, as there is only one soul energy, that of God and those worthy of God, who in a manner befitting his goodness wholly interpenetrates all who are worthy. And this is accomplished then through the body of Christ, through the incarnation of Christ. So the body of Christ not only accounts for the deification of the Christian, but this is the picture of the purposes of creation. The body of Christ, this is Maximus, is either the soul or its powers or senses or the body of each human being or the members of the body or the commandments or the virtues or the inner principles of created beings or to put it simply and more truthfully, each and all of these things both individually and collectively are the body of Christ. Where do we encounter Christ? In one another. Where do we encounter Christ? In the world. Where do we encounter Christ? In all things that are created by him. We see Christ reflected to us. There is a complete identification. And Maximus is careful to distinguish, certainly not in essence. But the whole man wholly pervading the whole God. And becoming everything that God is without, however, identity in essence and receiving the whole of God instead of himself. This is the opposite of the picture of Martin Luther that pictures God as absconded, you know, that God has hidden himself from us. Here God is fully with us. And Maximus is building upon origin the notion that the beginning is in the end, and the end is in the beginning, and this is Jesus Christ. He is the Alpha and Omega. He describes the virtuous person through Origen's formula. For such a person freely and unfeignedly chooses to cultivate the natural seed of the good and has shown the end to be the same as the beginning and the beginning to be the same as the end. Or rather that the beginning and the end are one and the same. Christ then is the beginning of all things, the end of all things, and we see God then reflected in this beginning and end. And so from the viewpoint of God taken up by the virtuous person, by conforming to this beginning, conforming to creation's purposes, 
a beginning in which he received being and participation in what is naturally good, he hastens to the end diligently. This end is theosis, the deification, the participation in God of all things. And so as with origin, it is the incarnate Christ. That is, we're not talking about an ahistorical or a pre-incarnate Christ. But it's the gospel. It's the Christ that we encounter in the New Testament in which the beginning is to be had and the end is to be had. The incarnate word, through this word, God has identified with the world and the world's beginning and its end is found in this identity. So as stated in the Gospel of John, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this is the work of God. In this way, the grace that divinizes all things will manifestly appear to have been realized. The grace of which God the Word becoming said, you know, this is Jesus in the Gospels, he says, my Father is working just as I am working. They say, you know, why are you doing this on the Sabbath? He says, well, God hasn't stopped working, and this is what God is doing. The Father bestows his good pleasure on the work. The Son carries it out, and the Holy Spirit essentially completes in all things the goodwill of the former and the work of the latter, so that one God in Trinity might be through all and in all things. What is God doing? He's saving his creation. He's saving his people. The Trinitarian work begun through the Son is carried out in all of creation. This is Colossians 3.11. So that he might be all in all. If then Christ as the man is the first fruits of our nature in relation to God. That's the way Paul pictures Christ. He's a kind of yeast that leavens the whole mass of humanity. As he is, so shall we be. So that in the idea of his humanity, he is with God the Father, for he is the Word, who never at any time has ceased from or gone outside of his remaining in the Father. Let us not doubt that consistent with his prayer, we shall one day be where he is. You know, this is the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. His prayer to the Father is happening. We are the first fruits of a new race. For inasmuch as he came to be below for our sakes and without change became man, exactly like us, but without sin, loosing the laws of nature, Maximus says, in a manner beyond nature, it follows that we too, thanks to him, will come to be in the world above and become gods. Now this may sound offensive to you, but Jesus says this in John. He says, ye shall be gods. And he's quoting the psalm. That is that we're full participants in who God is. And so Maximus might be seen as working out the details. This is actually an earlier thinker, Athanasius says, God became man that man might become God. But he sees this as the working principle of the cosmos with its own logic and its own singular explanation. It's not that God became like man or that man becomes like God, nor is it simply some 
Greek notion of participation, but rather Maximus gives full weight to both the human and the divine work of Christ. He's fully God and fully human. And in this, he's countering the tendency, you know, historically, the tendency is to either emphasize the humanity of Christ or the deity of Christ. And very often, there's a focus on the deity of Christ at the expense of the humanity of Christ. And the notion, maybe spoken or unspoken, is that the incarnation is in some sense a kind of singular episode in the life of God and not an eternal reality about God. And this is counterbalanced, I think, in Origen and Maximus, with a full embrace of humanity and deity. There is a full, a complete union between God and man. We can say that the cross of Christ is an eternal fact about God. We can say the incarnation of Christ is an eternal fact about God. There's a complete union between God and man. This is Maximus. This is precisely why the Savior, exemplifying within himself, our condition says to the Father, yet not as I will, but as thou wilt. He's fully human. And this is also why St. Paul, if he had denied himself and was no longer conscious of his own life, said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And so in the first instance, Christ really becomes human. And in the second instance, Paul really becomes Christ. What's true of Christ is true of us. There's this full union, this full identity, that God is renewing our nature. He made our nature new maybe returning it to its primordial purpose, its incorruptibility through who he is, through our rational soul in which he bestows the gift of divinization. We're not used to talking this way very much in the Western church, but the idea is that of Peter, that through him we participate in the, the person of God, that he interpenetrates who we are in his spirit. Maximus acknowledges what Luther says. Yes, it seems like God is hidden from us, but in Christ, he's come out of that. He's fully revealed who he is. And so the idea that this deific state involves the whole God in the whole creature and its reverse, the whole creature in the wholeness of God. He is fully God. He is fully human. And we too then, being fully human, can participate in who God is. Let me close. I'll just give one example of this. This is from John. And Jesus says two things in John. And in John 1, 5 to 7, in two sentences, we have God is light. And then in a few statements later, he says, he is in the light. That is, Jesus is described as both being the light and in the light. God, who is truly light, according to his essence, is present to those who walk in him. So he's both things. Just as all the saints who, on account of their love for God, become light by participation in that which is light by essence, so that which is light by essence, on account of its love for man, 
becomes light in those who are light by participation. This is Maximus. If therefore through virtue and knowledge we are in God as in light, for God who is light by nature is in that which is light by imitation. What he's saying is who Christ is as a human is fully God. He's light, but he's walking in the light. Just as the archetype is in the image, or rather God the Father is light in light. He is in the Son and the Holy Spirit. Not that he exists as three separate lights. He is one and the same light. He's the one light in Christ. He's the one light in God. And he's the one light in us that we fully participate in who he is. God is both by nature light and by imitation in the light. There's the difference here. By essence and participation, the distinction is there. He descends or comes to be or even becomes participated light in a kind of qualified or finite mode. And so for God who is light by nature is in that which is light by imitation, just as the archetype is in the image. In other words, there's full identification between the light that is God and the light that is in Christ and the light that is in us. It's a claim that in the deified person, God descends and becomes the very mode, the participated mode and activity of that person, all the while remaining divine, all while remaining in the Father. These are the choices then. This is a kind of complicated picture. But I think the two choices between Luther and Maximus in explaining Philippians, but actually in explaining Paul. Either God is hidden from us and we only know him in a secondary way, or we know him and become like him who is God. And I believe that the New Testament clearly identifies us with the body of Christ. We have to do not with a secondary reality, but with a first-order experience. So let me close. I'll just read a few passages that I think uh, emphasize this point. Romans 12, 4-5. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We are the body of Christ. Ephesians 3.19 And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Ephesians 4.13 Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure and fullness of Christ. We become truly Christ-like. Colossians 1, 16 to 17. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And let me end with the passage in Colossians 3:11. Christ is all and in all. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, 
or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.